Hello, everyone. Um, I just wanted to say um, Stan and Heather are away this morning. They are ministering at a church. Is it in Rich? Richmond? Yes. There is a photo of them up there somewhere. I think Meg has it. But um, I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach. Always, um, oh, there they are with Chantal and Brandon and the crew. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the opportunity to preach this morning. I always find it such a privilege. I think I want to be center stage. Okay. Okay, so we are currently going through a series on the book of Thessalonians, which has been so interesting. And um, Dan has done a few preaches over the past, before Marcus came, um, on some, some difficult topics that he's been talking about, which is what happens when I die, kind of, yeah, how do you grieve well? These are like heavy, sobering topics to think about in life, and um, it, it really has got me thinking. And um, so the scripture that I'd like to open with today is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 and 11. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And so this is my key text for this morning. And today, I wanted to build you up and encourage you. So um, the part of that scripture that I really want to look at is that he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, so awake means that we are now living, that's you and me, we are here, we are awake. Are you all awake? Can I get a wave? Are you awake? Woohoo! <laughs> okay. If you are asleep in this scripture, it means that you are dead. Okay? So, he died for us so that whether you are awake or asleep, it doesn't mean that you're just sleeping, it, it means that death, in, de in death, you may live together with him. Okay? So, I don't know about you, but just watching the news and hearing stories of people, and I feel like, like we're in the last hour. And one thing is for sure is that we will all face death one day. And so Stan reminded us that when we grieve, we grieve with hope, right? And when we face death, we are with Christ. And the question that the Thessalonians had for Paul was, if I die, am I going to miss the second coming of Jesus? And Paul's reply was, no, when, if you die before Jesus comes, you actually come with Christ. You come with him in his return. And so when we die, we grieve with hope. But it's, also, it's not all about dying. It's actually about we actually have a life to live. And so I wanted to speak a little bit about hope this morning. Because of this hope, we have a reason to live. And I want hope to be the overarching concept that I share with you this morning, because hope enables us to live according 
to the way that God wants us to live. Hope reminds us, hope keeps us on the straight and narrow. Hope keeps our hearts on fire. And so I'm going to speak to you a little bit about hope, just explain and help us understand a little bit what it is. And then I'm going to give you some RA plans, okay? So get your RA in place so you know that you're prepared and ready, right? But I've got, some, I've got three RAs that I want to talk about this morning. The one is repent, which is basically to align and a turn about, about turn. One is to remain, which means to abide. And one is to reveal, which is to announce the coming kingdom. Okay, so there is hope in death and there is hope in life. And we get to live this amazing life. So I want to read the script to you because this scripture pretty much sums up what I want to say. I love that I can just read scripture and I feel like I could just sit down because it carries such weight and power. So really take in what it's saying. In 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, I'm going to read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can I just get an amen? I mean, that scripture is like amazing. Like if you just read that scripture and just ponder on it a little bit, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Every time I read scripture, I'm like, yo, that is so powerful. Okay, so the Bible has quite a lot to say about hope. And biblical hope has its foundation, faith in God. But the word hope in English is an interesting word because it conveys a little bit of doubt. So for instance, I could say something like, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. So the word is like often followed by a so, like I hope so. So someone might say, who's not in Christ, are you going to heaven? And the answer might be, well, I hope so. You know, it's like, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's almost like it carries a bit of doubt. But the word hope in Scripture, in the Old Testament, is called batar, just out of the Hebrew, just in case you wanted to know that. But it, mean, it has this confidence and this security and being without care. Therefore, the concept of doubt is no, has no part of the word. So there is no doubt in the word batar, which is hope, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word is elpizo, hope, and again, there is no doubt attached to this word. It means the confident expectation or the assurance based upon a sure foundation for which you wait for. 
something that you wait for. In other words, there is no doubt about it, the word hope. So, biblical hope is a reality. It's not a feeling. Biblical hope carries no doubt. Biblical hope is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives, believing that God always keeps his promises. Okay, so what's interesting to note is the difference between the two words faith and hope. And they are actually, they related to each other, but they are distinctly different because there's a scripture that says uh, you have faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, you know, in 1 Corinthians. So, so the Bible actually distinguishes between the two, but they are definitely related to each other. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is a complete trust and confidence in something. It involves an intellectual assent, which is basically an agreement Faith is like an agreement in a set of facts, and you trust in those facts. For example, we have faith in Jesus Christ. This means that we completely trust that Jesus, in Jesus for our eternal destiny. We give agreement to the facts of Scripture by putting our faith in his death and resurrection. So we put our faith in that very fact. The fact that Jesus died, the fact that he rose again is where we stamp our faith. But biblical hope is actually built on top of that. And so that's why they go together. Hope is an earnest anticipation that comes from believing something good. Hope is confident. It has confidence and it's expecting something and it stems from faith. So it's something that hasn't happened yet and that is still yet to happen. So we are waiting. Hope is like faith has happened. So we say that um, faith is almost something that's in the past. We're basing our faith on something that's already happened. And hope is basing our, is, is looking ahead to the future. Okay? So the relationship can be illustrated through a, a story of a father who says to his child, tomorrow I'm going to take you to the the amusement park. It's trying to think of something that we could, like Gold Reef City. Tomorrow I'm gonna to take you there, okay? So the child believes that she will go to the amusement park based on the father's word. That is faith. So the child trusts in the father. She knows that the father will do what he says. He's faithful to his word. He's trustworthy. So she has faith in her father and in that statement. But at the same time, there's a belief in the child that kindles like an excitement and an expressible joy and like, yes, I'm going to an amusement park tomorrow. I'm so excited. And that is hope. That is the delight of the child in the father's promise. So the promise is for tomorrow, but the child has this expectation, this confident expectation that tomorrow they're going to go to the amusement park. And so they're actually complementary to each other, faith and hope. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past and hope, hope is looking to the future. So we are people of faith and hope. And our hope is, is in Christ. And actually, the title of my preach, which I'll eventually get to, I've actually started 
<laughs> but it's basically um, what we hope for shapes what we live for. Okay, so now I just need to get back to my notes because I jumped to the top. Okay, so, so are you okay with the word hope? Do you have a greater understanding? Can we move on? Okay, so now hope, we've got this hope. Now, actually, hope, Jesus is hope. He is hope. He is all, he is peace, he is love. He's all these beautiful things. But when we are in Christ, when we are inside Christ, if we die, we are with Christ. We are with Christ, with him. If we are in Christ and we are alive, which is you and me now, we let hope lead us because we know that we're going to be with Christ one day. And actually, this week, I feel like I've lived my preach this week, but um, we went to a memorial of a young guy who died. He was 37, and it was heartbreaking. His wife and his children were left here, and I just thought, I was just reminded of, actually, my faith was like, gosh, do I actually believe this? You know, it's like... Life is real and people die and, and do we actually have hope that, that they are with Christ and can we keep on living this life? There has to be this reality and this um, sure foundation to what we believe. Um, so, okay, so let me go with my points here. Um, so what does it mean to be in Christ in hope, Okay. So the first point that I want to share with you today is hope leads us and enables us to repent, okay? So repenting is basically changing the way you think, changing your mind, renewing your mind. Repentance happens at the point of salvation, but it's also something that's ongoing in our lives, in our relationship with Christ. So it's like we learn how to be a new creation. We continually walking in repentance ongoingly, but we are saved through repentance, not yeah, through repentance, but in Christ. So listen to this from Philippians. I want to talk about Jesus now because he is hope, okay? He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of, of his deity and took on the status of a slave. Become, he became human. Having beca become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Can I get an amen? That is amazing. <laughs> Okay, that's not my words, that's the Bible, okay. So, um, that was from the message version, which put it quite well. It was beautiful. Okay, so, so Jesus came from heaven as a little baby. He, he limited himself, and then he grew up, and as he began his ministry, do you know what the first words out of his mouth after he came out of the desert? His first words were, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. Come and follow me. That's what he said. He said, your sins are forgiven. If you believe and have faith in me, you will be saved. These are the things that Jesus said as he began his ministry. And in Mark 1.15, it says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So we find ourselves here on earth in our sin and unable to save ourselves. We are lost and we are actually without hope, surrounded by death, destruction, and darkness. And we need a savior. And Jesus has come and he has said, repent, come and follow me. And we are in sin, if we are, and if we are outside of Christ, we are in sin. And we are under, actually under God's judgment. But if we are in Christ, then we are no longer under God's judgment. I want to share a scripture with you. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, that we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So our sin will be judged, and judgment day is coming. And if you are outside of Christ, then you will be judged. But if you are in Christ, if you are born again, he actually rescues you from God's judgment. If you are found in Christ, he rescues you from the coming wrath. So there is, God is returning, and he's coming, and it says here, um, I wanted to get the scripture, okay, wait, I'll, I'll get there, but today, if you believe in the work of Christ, you will be saved. When you die, you will be with Christ in heaven. You'll have your ticket. <laughs> For by, it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring with your mouth and your, declaring your faith that you are saved. So if you are not saved today, you can believe in your heart what the work of Christ and you conf can confess it with your mouth and you will be saved. Okay. So a quote from The Divine Conspiracy, which is a book written by Dallas Willard, um, it says, does Jesus only enable me just to make the cut when I die? It is good to know that when I die, all will be well. But is there any good news for this life? If I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs than get insurance on one that doesn't. But can I have both? And so it's like having this ticket let's say, to Gold Reef City, that we're going, and you actually get in to Gold Reef City, but then you sit on the bench and you look at the wall, or you sit in the corner, and you actually don't enjoy the amusement park. You don't go and explore and have, take the rides and eat the food and enjoy, enjoy the park. You just sit in the corner, but oh, I've got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. I got it. Now I'm just going to sit. No, 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 no. <laughs> the message that I have for you today is that there's so much more. There's so much more in Christ. Another quote from the Divine Conspiracy. It says, we were built to count as water is made to run downhill. 
we are placed in a specific con context to count in ways that no one else does. That is our destiny. We have a purpose for our lives here on earth. And Jesus brings us that purpose. And he came from heaven. He related to our environment. He made himself, he made himself low so that we can identify and relate to him. And we, in order for us to die well in Christ, we actually need to live well. And the way that we live well is we start with repenting. We put things right. We have one life to live. Let's live it well. Forgive others. Live free. Live at, pre at peace. I love this one concept that that they explain, that the Bible explains. It says, before we know Jesus, it's like there's a veil in front of our faces over our eyes. But when we are in Christ and we come to know him, it says that the veil is removed. The scriptures 2 Corinthians 3, it says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, which is that repentance, changing, being transformed, becoming like, into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So repentance is this ongoing thing that we, we engage with the Lord. So if I, on my wedding day, said to Greg, okay, I'm sorry for all that I've done, I, for all that I'm going to do, and let's go and be married. And we married, and I never engage with Greg again about, I'm sorry that I let you down, or I'm sorry that I was late, or I'm sorry that I hurt you. What kind of marriage is that? So our marriage is a, is a relationship where we engage with each other, and we apologize, and we change our ways, and we work together to have a better marriage. And that's what it's like with the Lord. We come to know the Lord and hope because we know he's coming back, enables us, to my second point, remain in Jesus and abide in him. So Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain and abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We abide in Christ so that when he appears, our jars are filled with oil. We are in communion and relationship with him where we, where we stay grafted into that vine, and the flow of the vine is continuous. God doesn't turn on and off. He's not, I always say there's no load shedding in Jesus. He, he's continuous. There's a continuous flow of God. And do you know what? When Jesus returns, and the sky is ripped open, and the trumpet sounds, if you are in Christ and you have been abiding in him, you can stand confidently and say, I know him. You can say, I have been abiding and talking and walking with him my whole life, and now he's come. And you can say, I've been waiting for you, Jesus. There's a last scripture in Revelation which says, the spirit and the bride say, come. It's like we're waiting for Jesus to come, his return. We are abiding. 
we re- we're repenting, we're abiding, we like letting God's river flow through us. Christopher Quinn says, you can't buy someone else's prayer life. You can't copy and paste someone else's history with the Lord. And you can't subscribe to someone else's intimacy with the King. It has to be your own personal walk with the Lord. And you know what? I often say anything that you are most anxious about or fearful about is actually the very thing that we are maybe withholding from the Lord. And so a reminder for you is to lay it all at his feet. Don't withhold anything from him. If there's a bad habit that you, of sin that, you've, that you're walking with, lay it down, repent. Spend time with him, abide with him, and give him time and space. The things that you do, that you think about before you go to bed, the things that you think about when you wake up in the morning or when you're sitting at the traffic lights waiting are sometimes the deep things of your heart, your dreams, your desires, maybe your fears, your worries. Take those things to God. Talk to him about them. Present them before him in your prayer life. Take time out. Make it a habit to commune with God daily. While we wait for his return, we abide, we fast, we pray, we are part of a community, of family, of believers, we encourage one another, we call each other up, we take communion together. In Joel 2, it says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments, return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate. Now is the time to walk and, and to deal with your sin and return to the Lord and walk with him. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. So remember what I said about the past. Christ has come and he's actually dealt with our sin. When Christ comes again, it says that he's not coming to deal with sin. He's actually coming to save us those who eagerly await. We are eagerly awaiting him. Now is the time to deal with your sin. Okay, so let's be radical. Let's repent. Let's deal with our stuff so that we can eagerly await and have expectation and be ready for when Jesus comes. In 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let love lead you. As you abide, love flows through you. And in Revelation 1 verse 7, it says, Behold, he's coming on the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him his side. Let us rejoice, Revelation 19, and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb is coming. His bride has made herself ready. Not sure about you, but I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Now's the time. Let's get ready. Let's have a wholehearted devotion to him. This hope that I've been talking about, in, there's a scripture which is so beautiful. It says, but we know, and it's a, sorry, 1 John 3, 2 to 3. It says, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope, which is you and me, this hope that I'm talking about, in him 
purify themselves just as he is pure. So if you hope in him, you purify yourselves. It's like hope keeps you pure. Hope keeps you on the path. Hope helps you to remain and on the straight and narrow. It reminds us, oh yes, Jesus is coming. I need to be ready. I need to ready my, my life and my heart. I mean, if you knew, let's say, because we don't know the times of Christ's return, but let's say it's tomorrow and you knew that it was tomorrow, what would you do differently? If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you change? Who would you set your relationship right with? What are some of the things that you, how would you get your house in order? Now is the time. In 1 John 2, it says, Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. In Hebrews 10, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the Bible actually gives us a lot of um, encouragement and way that we can live this life, and we don't do it alone, because if you try and do it in your own effort, it's actually hard work, and that's, that's not what God's called us to. He hasn't, I mean, he has called us to work hard, but what I mean is he hasn't called us to do it in our own effort. He's called us to do it by the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit. The day is approaching, friends. Jesus is coming back. Let's get ready. Okay, so the last point is that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So we've looked at Jesus. He's our hope. He is our hope. And we walk with him in repentance. And we remain in him. We abide. And now that we have this ticket to this, we have our ticket and we're enjoying the park. We're enjoying the amusement park. We're going on the rides. We're helping. We're enjoying, um, experiencing the delights and joys. We have this expectation. We, we're living our, our lives to the full. It's like you've got tickets in your bag. And there's a whole lot of people outside that are not inside the park. But you've got all these tickets. Let's go and give them the tickets as well. And invite them in to come and experience the joy and the peace and the salvation that we have. And so my third point is reveal, announce, proclaim, tell others about this hope that you have. Don't be silent. Speak. I always think, imagine if you're in the workplace. Let's say, I think Marcus said it last week, and your secretary doesn't know the Lord. And then Jesus returns, and she turns to you, and she is like, how come you never told me that Jesus saves? How come you never told me that Jesus died on the cross for me to forgive my sins? So it's like, now is the time. Let us proclaim. Let us share the good news that we have with others. Please don't be silent. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. 
So they received the gospel, the Thessalonian church. And Paul says, pray now that it may spread, that others may receive it. In 1 Peter 3, it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. We are called to share the gospel. Jesus commissioned us, and that's what Marcus reminded us of last week. Jesus, in Jesus, we were made to fish, fishes of men. We were commissioned to go, and we were empowered to witness. That is what we are called to do now that we have this amazing hope that I've spoken to you about. Jesus sent out his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out into the harvest field. Field. It is ripe. You are like lambs among wolves. That's what he says. It's not easy. It's actually quite daunting. Imagine being a lamb amongst wolves. It's quite a scary place. But we go with Christ. Christ is in us. And I just wanted my last few moments, I just want to encourage you to share your faith. Find people in your workplace where God has placed you. Find people of peace. Where is God already working? Where is he already on that person? Can you see God on someone that you're working with? If you feel scared to share the gospel with someone, take, take someone who knows Jesus with you. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given God's amazing Holy Spirit power. You're not on your own. Bring the message that Jesus is coming and your sins are forgiven. Meet people at their point of pain. If someone is hurting in your workplace, someone's, they're dealing with something that's difficult, meet them right there. Say, okay, can I pray with you? Or can I tell you about Jesus? He's actually our hope. You have potential in the marketplace where you are. You have the power of your testimony. Jesus has saved you. Share that with others. You set an example of integrity in your workplace, uprightness. You have the Holy Spirit's power. Your work is your calling. Operate in your gift in the marketplace. Go and make disciples. That's that quote again. We were built to count as water is made to run downhill. We are placed in a specific context to count in ways that no one else does. You are called to count where God has placed you. And today, if you feel like you don't have hope, and you are without hope, you're thirsty, you're hungry, today Jesus can be your hope. He is your living water. He is the bread of life. You will never thirst again if you drink of him. And if you are in Christ today, those who are in Christ and who are born again, Romans 12, 12, says be joyful in hope. Because it's exciting, Jesus is coming back. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction. We know that this life on earth is not easy. Be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And that is my commission, my encouragement to you to build you up. Remember Jesus is coming back. Keep that in your mind. Repent, 
remain in Him, and reveal Him to others. And so how I wanted us to respond today is to actually to take communion. Because Jesus says that when we take communion, we are proclaiming His death and His resurrection. We're proclaiming it to ourselves. We're reminding ourselves. We're proclaiming it to others in our community. We're proclaiming it to the devil. Any strongholds that he has on your life, you're proclaiming the blood and the body of Christ. I'm, I'm in Christ. Sorry for you. I'm in Christ. You can't touch me. <laughs> Just went to my head. But um, we are proclaiming as we take communion. Remind yourself, remind your partner, your husband, your wife, remind your children, remind your friends, look what Jesus has done. Look, his blood and his body, save us, forgive us. Look, remember, Jesus is coming back. Remember, remember, remember. When you do this in remembrance of me, remember Jesus. And so what I would like you to do is you can do it individually on your own. You can do it with the people sitting next to you, but I want you to take five minutes, five minutes. We're going to play a song, a beautiful song about the blood of Jesus, and I want you to engage and remember Jesus. I want you to fix your eyes on him. I want you to talk to him about the things that are worrying you, the habits, the, the things that you're burdened by. Lay them at his feet. Let his blood and his body wash over you, be inside you, be found in Christ.